Moses respond to that? Verse 13. Moses, all the way to 19. Moses, his love for those people and his intercession for them saved their lives. Saved their lives. Now, it was a test that the Lord was giving Moses to see if he as a leader had selfishness in him or ambition in him or build my own kingdom. Because later on, Moses speaking to someone said, the Lord never ever intended to kill them all. He didn't want to. He was simply trying to drive Moses into a time of intercession and to prove his love for those people. Moses, his prayer was, <laughs> was heard, but God is a God of justice. And God is saying, okay, okay, let's start at verse 20. The Lord replied, I will forgive them. I have forgiven them, he says, as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one has, who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Now God's judgment was he had to forgive, but Jesus hadn't died on the cross, so their sin couldn't be dealt with. And so he had to bring judgment on them because, first of all, they weren't repentant. They were just whining and crying because they didn't get their own way. And secondly, God is a God of justice, and sin has to be dealt with, either with the blood of Jesus or in death. It has to be. How could God call himself a God of justice if he let sin go and never dealt with it? He's a God of mercy, which holds off. He says, I won't give you what you deserve. I'm going to wait for a while. As he said of Israel, I'm hoping that they'll repent and come back to me. But somewhere, mercy runs out, and God says, I have to bring justice or he wouldn't be a God of justice. I want to serve a God who's just in every way, because when I'm standing before him on the judgment day, he will judge me justly. I don't want a judge that makes up things and accuses me of things wrong. He's a God of justice. Again, in verse 22, he reminds that they have shown contempt 10 times. Ten times there was, a, there was a need for something. Ten times, instead of the children of Israel saying, I know my God will supply because he promised. But instead of that, they said, we're going to die here. Ten times they literally said, we should have died in Egypt, or other times they said, we should have, we're going to die in this wilderness. Therefore, as a result of that, God said, anybody over the age of 20, except for Joshua and Caleb, will never see the promised land. He had promised to defeat the inhabitants of the land, 
but because of their sin of grumbling and complaining, fault-finding against the leadership, their sin could not allow God's hand to be moved on their behalf. His promises are connected to our obedience. That's true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. His promises are connected to our obedience. Verse 25, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back again, to, turn back tomorrow and set out towards the desert along the road to the Red Sea. In other words, there's the promised land on the other side of the river, but you have to turn around and go the other way because of your unbelief. Listen, I know there's times in my life when instead of going into the promise, I went the wrong way because God said, I've closed the door because your sin has kept you. Your sin of unbelief, your sin of grumbling and complaining has kept you from going in. Here's the consequences. Verse 26 to 28, now listen to us. He will do for us what he hears us saying. Let me read verse 26 and 27 and 28. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard. Stop there. Listen, when you grumble and complain, somebody's listening. Somebody hears you. And it isn't just the person you're grumbling against. He says, I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, are you listening? As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. Whoa. God said, I'll bring you in. You have said we're going to die here. God says, I cancel out my plan, and I'm going to give you your plan. That should scare us, what we say with our mouth. The, the Bible says that the death and life are in the power of the tongue. We say, it says in, in Hebrews, the Lord is there to protect us. Therefore, we say he is there to protect us. He'll never leave us. We are to say the things that he said, say the things he has promised. If he says in Philippians, that he will meet all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If he said that, then make a choice to believe it, but to speak it out of your mouth, you actually release the faith out of your belief system. It says so in Romans 10, verses 8 to 10. Speak it out what you know in your head and believe in your heart. When you speak it, it's faith. It's like a sword and a shield, sword driving back, a shield protecting you from the thoughts of the enemies. I think of this verse. The Lord says, I will do the very things I heard you say. He said, I will do. You got to underline that one. The very things. I heard you say. And in the case of the children of Israel, what God had said, 
for those people over 20 years of age, the promise was erased. And they got what they said because their bodies fell in the wilderness over the next number of years. Then he says in verse 31, remember what I read a few minutes ago? They're saying, our, our, our children are going to die here. Then he says in verse 31, as for your children, by the way, he might as well be saying, as for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. Whoops. They said, our children are going to die in the wilderness. God said, no, I'm not going to punish them with your mouth. I'm going to bring them in. But they will suffer for your unfaithfulness. Your, verse 33, your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. Verse 34, for 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is, what it is like to have me against you. God is saying, you will know what it's like to have me against you. That's a serious statement. I want to start believing what God has said, regardless of what the circumstances are. If God has given me a promise from his word, I will take a hold of that promise. It's like a, a, a you know, the, if you're in a, in a subway or something, they have hand grips that come down from the ceiling to hang on because everybody stands in the subway. Or they might have poles where you can hang on. That's what they're like. The promises are like uh, something to hang on, a, a, a pillar of faith, a handhold of faith. I take on God has said. Now, my wife and I went through many years in our initial ministry, many years, no salary, because it was more of a street work, working with young people, working with people that were homeless sometimes or, or with, without work. So we had no guarantee of any income for 18 years. And yet we learned in the early years that if God has said it, hold on to it. I would say to my wife, honey, our bank account's empty. My pockets are empty, but I know God's going to supply money for food this month. I need gas for the car. I need money for the heat. I need hydro paid for. I know God's going to. We had to declare in spite of our feelings. Our feelings are saying, oh, you've had it. God's going to let you down this time. That's our feelings. I didn't go by my feelings. I went by what God said. He said, I will supply all your needs. We knew, this is key, both my wife and I knew we were called out of a job into ministry, a secular job into ministry. We knew that. It wasn't a prophetic word. We just knew it. Worked with a company for nine years. I was in a good position. It was an international company. And yet when, they, when a tank came to leave that company, I knew I was supposed to go. The company even made it harder. They were offering me a promotion. Now the whole thing is taking a hold of God's promises and not allowing 
the circumstances around us to rob us of those promises. God said, I've heard what you say. That's what I'll do. And when I would say to my wife, Margaret, I'd say, honey, we might be out of money in the bank and in our pockets, my wallet's very thin. Nevertheless, I know my God's going to meet our needs this month. God said, I heard what you said, Howard. I heard that. And that's why he looked after us. As a matter of fact, in those 18 years, when I left my job, we still had a mortgage. I didn't have a car because I'd driven a company car. They wouldn't let me keep it, of course. I had, a, I had a, a, good, a good salary, a good expense account, and a profit sharing account, plus a pension plan. And the Lord basically was saying, I have something better for you. And I couldn't imagine what it was, but he has proven himself to be faithful. In those 18 years, we got our mortgages paid off before it was due. We got a car. A man in our church said, you need a car. He said, if you give me so much every month, you can have the car. And that's the way it worked. We always had money for food because the Lord was with us. Amen. I'm going to talk about a situation in the Old Testament. It's actually from Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 14, the um, time in history that we're talking about, the children of Israel were in the wilderness. They had um, been going through some testings and some trials, and there was a lot of grumbling and complaining failing to understand that God had made a promise, he was faithful to do it. And so we're looking at Numbers 14 because this is kind of the chapter where God says, I've had enough. I've been listening to this and I've had enough. So let me go through it and we'll look at this with, um, uh, with the intent of helping you to understand that we need to take a hold of what God has promised and in the trials that come after his promise to hold on. Because whenever God has made a promise, he generally, not always, but generally, he will test us then to see if we believe what he said. And that's what the children of Israel were going through at this time. Now I want to refer back to a passage of scripture from 1 Corinthians 10. It says in verse 6, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And then verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So both of those scriptures are telling us we can learn from what they went through. They went through a hard time 
For 40 years, it was difficult. We need to learn from them so we can, in our difficult times, have that time cut shorter. Because if the children of Israel had not grumbled and complained, if they'd taken hold of God's word and said, he promised, therefore this water will be good, or he promised he'll get us through so he will supply food. But see, they didn't do that. But God was waiting for them to, to say, he promised he will do it. That's what he wanted to hear them say. But he didn't hear them say that. What he heard them saying was, oh, we should have stayed in Egypt. Woe is me. We're going to die here. All is lost. That's what God heard. Romans 15 says something the same thing. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. So if I take what the children of Israel went through, not just in the wilderness, but all the way through their history in the Old Testament, if we take the trials that they went through, the lessons that they needed to learn, sometimes they didn't, sometimes they did. But we need to take those and learn from them. And out of that, God, you did it for them. You will do it for me. You'll do it for my family. You'll do it for the church I'm part of. You'll do the promises that you have said, and I can count on it, Lord. And in that, the scripture says, we can have hope. You know what hope is? Hope is the assurance of things. Now, faith comes out of that hope, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance of that hope, flows out of it. So it's important that we learn from them. What you learn in this teaching could save you a lot of trouble down the road. We're simply learning from scriptures. So Numbers 14, verse 1. This is... Um, when the people didn't get what they wanted, the spies had come back from the promised land, the 12 men that were spying out all the different seven different nations. And 10 of them gave a bad report. Joshua and Caleb tried to say, no, no, it's okay, we can do it. The 10 said, no, they're like giants. Their walls in the cities are to the heavens. They'll, they'll consume us. We felt like grasshoppers in front of them. That night, verse 1, that night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Let me suggest to you that weeping was not because of something that was bad that was happening. They were weeping because they weren't getting what they wanted. It wasn't happening the way they wanted it to happen. It wasn't producing what they thought it should produce. Be, behold, I thought is something the Bible says every once in a while when somebody assumed something that they shouldn't have assumed. What were they assuming? Should be happening faster. We should have more food. We should have different food. The sun should shine 24 hours every day. So selfishness sets in quite quickly with grumbling and complaining. I'm sure you're not aware of that. I am. 
it's happened to me. Verse 2, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our, listen, our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Remember that. I'm going to come back and talk about that in a minute, what they said about our wives and children. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Let me tell you what they're saying. They're saying, God, when you appointed Aaron and Moses as our leaders, you made a mistake. Because they're not getting us into the promised land like what you said they would. So therefore, we're going to choose some other leaders. Now, there's a historian back at the time of Jesus, and later he's a Jewish historian. There's no record of him being a Christian follower, but he wrote the history of the Jews, simply called Josephus, a big, thick book. And he counts in there that it was common, I believe I can say if I remember correctly, that there were groups of people that literally chose a leader and headed back to Egypt again. We never heard of them again. Because out of there, they wouldn't have the, 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 the food, the manna, the, the water supply that God had given to the group. But they actually did. They're saying to God, you chose the wrong people to lead us. We'll choose our own. Very common. Now Moses and Aaron knew how to deal with this. They fell down on their face in front of the whole Israelite community that was assembled there. The first thing they did was humble themselves. All four of them. They humbled themselves to me, that would say, Father, I can't do anything about what's going on. Four people against probably two million, give or take a few. Because 600,000 men came out. Doesn't, that means they had wives, which puts it up to a million two hundred, plus they had large families where could shoot it anywhere. And so they humbled themselves. And then in verse 7, they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. This is Joshua and Caleb talking. A land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. These two men had faith. They actually said, their protection is gone. What an awesome statement. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And I can imagine the people say, well, it, I can't feel him. I don't sense him. He hasn't, he hasn't shown up lately. Joshua and Caleb might have said, so what's that got to do with it? God made a promise, 
and he's good for his promises. But, verse 10, the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Um, I've never preached a sermon in my life where people decided when I was finished that they wanted to kill me, that I'm aware of. But that's what was happening here. We don't like the way he's preaching, so let's get rid of him. We'll form a committee, and we'll oppose, and we'll approach the elders and get rid of him. Listen, when God chooses leaders, we had better recognize it was his choice, and he is jealous of his people that he puts into leadership. And we bear very careful about what we do he said, touch not my anointed ones, and do my servants no harm. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Do you understand what that is? They use that word in court. If you, if you go against what the judge has said, or you go against the, law, the laws or the order of the courts, they said you're in contempt of court. In other words, the court said to do this, and you did that. They said, go this way, you went that way. And so the people are treating the Lord with contempt. And the Lord says, how long will they refuse to believe in me? In other words, I made promises way back while you're still in Egypt. I promised them I would bring them out with signs and wonders, which he had already done. I promised them I would bring them through the wilderness, which he was now doing. And I promised I'll bring them into the land, which he was about to do. But you see, they, they were in an attitude problem. I want it to be happening the way I want it to be happening. I wanted the timing to be my timing. And if God doesn't do it my way, I guess he's forgotten about me, or he doesn't like me, or I'm not spiritual enough to have his promises fulfilled. All these things the enemy starts putting into your soul, into your thought life. I can imagine what they're thinking out there. This, the, the, the food is the same every day. The, everything's different. We keep going and never get anywhere. Keep going around the same mountain all the time. Second time around, we find our garbage from the first time. Well, God said, if you'd just believe in me, you wouldn't have to go through the, around the mountain again. But see, the people wanted what they wanted their way and not God's way. You know, twice in the book of Hebrews it says, through faith and patience, speaking of the patriarchs, the men of the Old Testament, through faith and patience they inherited the promise. We lack patience for sure in many cases. I have many times. I lack faith many times. I've asked God to forgive me, to build my faith. I want to be a man of faith. I want to be a man of patience. God says this about them in verse 12. I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I'll make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. What was God saying? He was saying to Moses, I'm going to kill the whole bunch 
and I'm going to raise you up. As I raised up Abraham, I'll raise you up now, and you will have a multitude of people, and you will be their father. Please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.